This is Pet Life Radio. Let's talk pets. Welcome to Working Like Dogs on Pet Life Radio. Thank you for joining us. We're your host. My name is Marcy Davis, and I have my new co-host with me today, my amazing new service dog, Fenway. As many of you know, Lovey has been my co-host for quite some time, and she has retired and is enjoying her retirement. Um, so Fenway is my new dog, and he and I are excited to be with you to talk about our favorite subject, working dogs and working animals. And today we are welcoming Dr. Philip Tedeschi, and he is the director, emeritus, and founder of the Institute for Human-Animal Connection. And he's also a clinical professor there at the University of Denver Graduate School of Social Work. And Dr. Tedeschi is globally recognized for his expertise in the clinical methods of animal-assisted interventions. And he coordinates the school's animal-assisted social work certificate program, which is so cool, as well as the Animals and Human Health Professional Development Certificate Program. And he is also the author of a remarkable new book called Transforming Trauma, Resilience and Healing Through Our Connections with Animals. So we have so much to talk to Dr. Tedeschi about today. So come right back after these quick messages as we welcome Dr. Philip Tedeschi to the show. Take a bite out of your competition. Advertise your business with an ad in Pet Life Radio podcasts and radio shows. There is no other pet-related media that is as large and reaches more pet parents and pet lovers than Pet Life Radio. With over 7 million monthly listeners, Pet Life Radio podcasts are available on all major podcast platforms. And our live radio stream goes out to over 250 million subscribers on iHeartRadio, Odyssey, TuneIn, Stitcher, and other streaming apps. For more information on how you can advertise on the number one pet podcast and radio network, visit PetLifeRadio.com slash advertise today. Let's Talk Pets on PetLifeRadio.com. Welcome back to Working Like Dogs on Pet Life Radio. We're so excited to have Dr. Philip Tedeschi with us today. Hello, Dr. Tedeschi, and welcome. Uh, hi, Marcy. How are you? Great to be I'm, here with you. Yeah, we're just thrilled that you could be with us. You are just doing so much amazing work in this field, and you have this fabulous new book. So we have so much to talk about today, but I have to ask you, Dr. Tadeshi, please start out by telling our listeners a little bit about yourself and how you became aware and interested in the human-animal connection. 
Yeah, absolutely. And Marcy, please just call me Philip. I'm a, I'm a, I'm a clinical professor at the Graduate School of Social Work. And my background, my primary professional background is I'm a clinical social worker here in Colorado and have been for many years. And uh, really, it was, you know, sometimes I, I joke about blaming animals for ending up working with people is kind of what happened in my career, is I started out being interested in animals and went to veterinary to start to do my pre-veterinary training at the University of Wisconsin in Madison. But it was really through my interactions with animals and people during that time that led me to realize what I was most interested in was the way people and animals connect with one another. And, you know, quickly realized that I that's what I wanted to do. And my advisor at the time told me, no, you can't do that. There isn't any such thing not as a you know academic area of interest, but luckily I was allowed to develop and design and write my own degree program. And what I have focused on what I, is what I call bioaffiliation or our connection with the living world. So I'm interested in the way people and other living systems, other animals, other non-human animals, even nature and ecological systems interact with people and all of the you know relevant intersections between people and animals and the environment wow that's amazing because as you were sharing that that's exactly what i was thinking is how did you do that when there aren't any traditional programs really that were defined at the time to do that kind of work and the human animal connection and i love how that work is evolving and how you're such a pioneer in that work yeah. yeah, it really has. It really has evolved. And I will say there were, you know, other persons in this field for, for quite some time, you know, who have been pioneering important concepts like ethology, or the cognitive and emotional lives of animals. In fact, one of my mentors and kind of biggest influences was Dr. Jane Goodall, who at the time when I was a graduate student was beginning to publish about the important work she was doing with the chimpanzees in Gombe National Park in Tanzania and, you know, and communicated with me about my interests and encouraged me to pursue this. And in fact, I've, I've gotten the chance to meet and work with Dr. Jane over the years and actually contributed a chapter to her 80th birthday book, which was really an honor to celebrate such a person. But, you know, we've had persons like Dr. Jane in the field who have been talking about what animals can teach us and the fact that animals have these emotional lives that oftentimes, you know, we don't fully recognize as human beings. And, and really that for me has been an, a tremendous inspiration behind my work. Yeah. Oh, how amazing to get to work with Dr. Jane Goodall. Oh, that's a, what a gift I'm sure that was for you. And, and I'm sure it was a life-changing experience. So I have to ask you, was it one dog or one, or one particular animal interaction that you had that really made the light bulb go off and made your heart skip a beat that, that you knew this was your path in life? Yes. Well, I've had many. I mean, I've been fortunate that my interest in human and animal connections take, has literally taken me all over the world at this, at this juncture. So I've seen some of the most amazing um, ways in which people and animals interact. But 
maybe the vector, kind of the original probably moment that I can think of is one of the days as a graduate student, I was responsible for managing the equine program at the University of Wisconsin in Madison at the time. And it was a therapeutic riding program. And I was asked if I would consider teaching a group of adults that had been recently deinstitutionalized who were diagnosed with schizophrenia, how to ride horses. And um, at the time, you know, that seemed, you know, I knew, I probably knew a lot more about horses, frankly, than I did about schizophrenia at that stage of my career. But I agreed to do that. And it was really quite profound in that first interaction of watching these individuals climbing off this bus and coming into the barn and then having them, you know, begin to interact with these horses. It was really quite clear that there was transformations occurring right in front of you and, you know, that you just could not explain, but you also couldn't deny. And that was really a, quite a profound observation. And I, and I think many people in our field have these same experiences where they've seen an interaction between a person and an animal that literally is life-changing. And, you know, my work has been really spending the last 30 years trying to explain what's going on there. And that's really the nature of the work we do at the Institute for Human-Animal Connection. I love that so much. And yes, I mean, so much of what we see, my own personal experiences with my service dogs, absolutely, that connection is just the depth of it is just hard to articulate. But most of us have just had this experience and know it anecdotally. But what I love so much about your book, Transforming Trauma, is that you have really, you and your co-author, Molly Ann Jenkins, really have put down so much of what we all have felt and known, but you really have, have started capturing that and the whole industry, you know, and, and really putting that into data and into documentation that can be used. Tell us about that and how you and Molly created this new wonderful resource. Well, yes, thank you for highlighting um, our book. We're really proud of it. We've yet to find a single typo in it, which makes me really happy. <laughs> so I've always, you know, that's always your fear right after it's published. Um, but that book emanated out of a conference that we did. We run these conferences at the University of Denver out of our Institute for Human-Animal Connection uh, called Animals on the Mind. And we've been doing them for many years, and we co-host them with an organization called Green Chimneys. And that conference was one of the first conferences in the country to really bring forward the research and science and clinical protocols for how animals might go about being incorporated in trauma-informed care, trauma recovery work. And there's a few different areas that we were particularly interested in looking at. One was child maltreatment, or what sometimes is called child developmental trauma. We also were interested in post-traumatic stress, in particular, the relevance of post-traumatic stress in returning service members, because we have so many who have experienced the mental health you know, implications of having been deployed for such long periods and under such difficult circumstances. And then we also looked at crisis response. So things like school shootings or even natural disasters and how animals fit into those kinds of recovery settings. And that really opened up a 
just those three areas of trauma, and there are others, opened up a tremendous dialogue across the, the planet, really, with other persons who were seeing the roles that animals could play in this regard. And it was also with my students. We're a graduate school and, and one of the largest um, graduate programs specializing in this area. And over the years, I've had many students come up to me and, and say, you know, I selected this program because animals saved my life. And I knew this is what I wanted to do because, you know, they were their own proof of concept that they had a, a dog that helped them get through their parents' divorce or a loss in their family or other, you know, traumas. And so often it was really in these very personal discussions and dialogue that we realized the significance of this topic. Oh, I love it. Yes, yes, that's wonderful. Well, tell us a little bit more about the Institute for Human-Animal Connection that you mentioned at the University of Denver. What kinds of programs are there? And I know you have some wonderful certificate programs. Tell us about that and who those programs are really designed for. Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's really our pride and joy. The Institute for Human-Animal Connection has been around for several decades we were the first academic program that was housed in a school of social sciences as, let's say, compared to the human-animal bond academic centers that emanated out of a veterinary program. So we're really looking at the human-animal connection, not just through the lens of veterinary medicine and, and animal well-being, although we're very interested in animal well-being. Uh, we're also interested in the relevance of our connection to animals from the standpoint of the social sciences and social science-informed questions, things like health and wellness and risk and resilience, um, and how animals in our lives, you know, improve our families and our communities and those sorts of things. If people are interested, they can find us at socialwork.du.edu backslash human animal connection, or if you just search Institute for Human Animal Connection, University of Denver, you'll find us. And on our webpage, if you go to programs, what you will find, there is a live link that says education and certificates. And it'll tell you about a lot of our academic offerings that include uh, terminal degrees, uh, advanced degree academic degrees that allow you to become a, a master's in social work. And we also work collaboratively now with other units on campus, including education, law, and psychology. So, you know, you can build in classes and specializations into a formal degree. But we also offer, for those persons who are already in, you know, through college or maybe are already in college, we offer a range of professional development programs. And specific to your area of interest, Marcy, we run a program called the Canine Assisted Intervention Specialist Certificate that I actually am the leader of um, that particular program with my colleague, Jennifer Pearson. And we have courses that go twice a year that are directed at how dogs in particular are incorporated into many complex clinical settings and how to prepare yourself to do that work. I love it. Well, I have to say, I've been visiting that website, and I'm really interested in those programs. I mean, especially the one you just mentioned. Yes, I just love it. It is such an innovative 
program that is really responding to the work that I'm passionate about, and I know so many of our listeners are, with courthouse facility dogs, with all types of crisis response, canines, all of the amazing work that handlers are doing. And I just love this formality to it where it's really giving some structure to it and showing the results, demonstrating them and documenting them, which is what we've needed so much in this field, Absolutely. which is, is just so exciting. Well, we are going to take just a quick break and hear some important messages from our sponsors who we love. And then we're going to come back and keep visiting with Dr. I still, I have to call you Dr. Tedeschi. <laughs> I, I thank you for the offer of Philip, but, I, but you're Dr. Tedeschi to me. So uh, lots more questions of things that I want to ask you about when we come back. So everybody stay put. We'll be right back. For those fortunate to have experienced the deep bond and unconditional love of a companion animal, the death that follows can be one of the most difficult and misunderstood losses to go through. Many times, this devastating loss goes unrecognized and trivialized by family and friends, leaving grieving pet parents struggling to find healthy ways to cope with the loss. In And I Love You Still, a thoughtful guide and remembrance journal for healing the loss of a pet, Dr. Julianne Corbin calls attention to the difficulties unique to the loss of a beloved pet and provides an interactive and compassionate guide to help you process your loss and work towards coming to a place of peace and healing. For those interested in journal therapy and looking for a professionally written and compassionate resource to help understand and reconcile the grief associated with the loss of your pet, this book is for you. And I Love You Still, a thoughtful guide and remembrance journal by Julianne Corbin is now available for purchase on Amazon and other major book retailers. Let's Talk Pets. Let's Talk Pets. On Pet Life Radio. Pet Life Radio. PetLifeRadio.com. Welcome back to Working Like Dogs on Pet Life Radio. We are visiting today with Dr. Philip Tedeschi, and he is joining us from the Human Animal Connection Institute with the University of Denver, and just such a fascinating conversation about your work. And you mentioned before the break, you were talking about the, is it the Canine Intervention Specialist Program? Yes, we call it the Canine Assisted Intervention Specialist Certificate, and it is a a professional development certificate that is intended to be an advanced form of education, specifically in how dogs are incorporated into complex clinical settings and some of the new work that we're doing with dogs. You know, one of the things that has been most exciting about that program, and and by the way, we we also, for those people who are interested in other areas, we have um, broader existing programs called human animal environmental interaction and social work certificate that's our academic program our animals and human health certificate we have an equine specialization called the equine assisted mental health practitioner certificate and now our newest one has been in humane education raising compassionate children and and training parents and teachers on the importance of humane education and the developing child and in classrooms and in homes and things like that So 
So we have a lot to offer, but I'm particularly passionate about this work with canine-assisted intervention, in part because it's quite global now. In fact, most of our classes, you would be in class with persons from numerous other countries, which has really been an exciting way to just understand the significance of our relationship with dogs. So cool. I know, and you do a lot of international work. Didn't I hear you say you work with Comfort Dog Project in Uganda? I am. I'm on the board of directors of the Comfort Dog Project. And for those people who don't know the Comfort Dog Project, please take a look at the important work they're doing. They are affiliated with the Big Fix Uganda, which is a veterinary organization that for many years has been doing spay-neuter programs and other vaccination programs and improving the lives of animals. But one of the things that has come out of that work is this one health or one welfare recognition that when we improve the lives of animals, uh, we also can improve the health metrics of human communities as well. And so the Comfort Dog Project has responded to the fact that there's numerous members of the population in Uganda who are survivors of the Ugandan civil war who are lacking mental health services and and experience significant trauma during that conflict. And by pairing them or partnering them with some of the dogs in Uganda, the street dogs, in fact, and giving them the tools necessary to care for and, and train those dogs, they become the lifelong guardians of these young dogs. We've been able to demonstrate that these are important programs for trauma intervention for those individuals as well. That's wonderful. And you've done work with prison-based dog training programs too. Yeah, we sure have. Uh, Our institute and our research team there has been doing a really deep dive into uh, the existing programs here in the United States, but that also has led us abroad as well. And it's been an interesting opportunity. In fact, if you're interested in prison canine programs in particular, you might be interested in our research that you can find on the HSUS repository, research repository for free. You can just download that for free. Um, But that document led us to working with colleagues in the Middle East, where we assisted in the development and implementation of the very first prison program, prison canine program in uh, Northern Israel, right? right along the Syrian border. And that's been a fantastic and very interesting project, in part because it's uh, also quite, you know, atypical for those communities that dogs aren't always considered companions or pets. But through these kinds of programs, we really realize we have the ability to both save animal lives, but also improve, you know, the human experience as well for incarcerated persons and improve the outcomes for them coming out of incarceration. Yeah, I love those prison-based dog training programs. And one of my service dogs um, was the the product of that. He actually was in a facility. Yes, um, Whistle. Yes, he was. He definitely was in that program. And it just, he was phenomenal in his work performance. And I always attribute that to, to the person who was incarcerated that trained him and put so much into his service dog training. So I think those are wonderful programs for so many reasons and just love to support those. I'm so glad that that you're working in that. And I have to ask you, Dr. Tadeshi, what do you see as the future of this work in this new industry in the human-animal connection? What do you see for the future? 
What a great question. A dangerous one, by the way. That could get <laughs> a lot of paths, Marcy. Um, Let's go. Yeah. We might be here for the next week. Um, no, I'm, I'm joking. But, well, I think there's a couple of things that come to mind kind of as some of the big issues. And, and the first, I would say, is really at the heart of our Institute's work. And that's this question of our relationship with other animals and the question of ethics. And I bring that up in part because, you know, in general, if we were to ask a question like, how well do people do in treating other animals with respect? And how are we doing with kind of the, the human temptation for exceptionalism or viewing ourselves as exceptional or, you know, seeing other animals as deserving of humane treatment? And I would argue that we have a long way to go to truly appreciate the importance of our relationship with other non-humans. And if we were to do better with that, one of the things that we would find is that it improves human communities. So things like concepts like how we raise children or the development of empathy, how do we reduce callousness and improve communication and interpersonal relationships and caring for one another? How do we make safer communities, for example? One of the ways we do that is by teaching compassionate care of others, including not just human beings, but also non-humans. And so I would say that one of the things that this field is really has to keep track of is ensuring that the different ways, maybe even the some of the new innovative ways that animals are being incorporated in some very complex settings, things like trauma recovery, require that our moral and ethical framing of how we go about doing this has to be front and center. Um, and, you know, that's a, a moral question, but it's also a clinical question, a very personal question in, in another regard, because what the science of human-animal connection suggests is that when we're in the presence of other living beings, other humans and other non-humans, and even possibly other living systems, even something like forests or other biodiversity when we're in the presence of animals and living systems that are flourishing, it provides health benefits to us as human beings. But when we're in the presence of animals that are in distress or are being harmed or mistreated in various capacities, we are likely doing just the opposite. We're likely not in the presence of a health-promoting you know, phenomenon. We're probably in the presence of a risk factor for human health which is why those persons who are spending long periods of time in war zones or conflict zones or settings that are being where other living beings are being harmed, including you, we could probably include in that other parts of our society that are neglectful or careless about their relationship with other non-humans, we would want to consider those probably risk factors for human health. And, and so I think those shape for me kind of the future of our work in this area. So I become really interested in the naturally occurring connections between people and living systems and other animals and how we're doing in regard to the treatment of these other animals. Yeah, it's fascinating. It is. And, and it is just the tip of the iceberg, I think, of what, what we know and what we need to learn from these incredible beings. And it's, you know, it is all animals, in my opinion. They're just I know I've had a relationship for the last couple of years with some birds just in my backyard, and that has just been such a gift. And that okay. exchange, yeah, yeah. We even know that that bird watching is a great example of a human-animal interaction that has tremendous therapeutic benefits. 
can improve self-esteem, for example, and creates this phenomenon that we call, you know, not dissimilar to like when you're on a safari or when you have an amazing opportunity to encounter an animal in a natural environment. Um, these concepts, you know, that allow us to feel extra fortunate that we've seen these animals, like a beautiful bird landing on your bird feeder, for example, create this opportunity to feel yes. fortunate. Yes. fortunate. So they have therapeutic benefits, actually. Absolutely. I mean, as a person with a disability, you know, hiking is not really an option for me. But my husband and I have created this amazing little habitat in our yard and the animals that come. And yes, I feel like I'm out and on an amazing hike and getting those experiences and I'm not leaving, you know, the sidewalk. (laughs) But but it is it, it is. Absolutely. I could not agree with you more. The living world is all around us, you know, and yes. encourage, you know, I hope that our field of, let's say, promoting the work that we do with our awesome dogs doesn't start and end with dogs, but maybe opens up conversation about the value of biodiversity protections, the animals that we don't always see sometimes because they're nocturnal or insects or things that, for example, some people may not necessarily see as highly valued are really important to the health of our of our planet. And, you know, and even as you're describing, Marcy, things like um, presence of birds and other wildlife, some people would say squirrels are the coolest, you know, because they're quite amazing, very good parents, for example, and work hard to raise their children. Um, We can learn a lot from their, you know, ingenuity and their hardworking qualities. You know, those are also things that build social capital in our communities and allow us to to value them alongside the companion animals that we put a lot of emphasis on. Yes, yes, they're all a gift, and I I could not agree more. And they they certainly bring so much enrichment to my life every day. Absolutely, and it is not that difficult if we just open up our awareness and just be open to it and appreciative. Boy, what gifts. Well, I know our time is almost up, but I also want to ask you, before I let you go, what is the biggest lesson that you have learned from your work and from the the canines that you've worked with? That's such an important question. Well, I would say, you know, just in the last year and a half, when we've been all undergoing this worldwide pandemic, one of the things that is absolutely clear is that, you know, one of the most dangerous mental health conditions that we treat routinely as social workers and as mental health clinicians is isolation and loneliness. And that turns out to be an important segue into why our companion animals are so central to our lives and so important in our lives. And we've seen this uptick in you know, adoptions and fostering and people bringing animals into our, their lives. And I think a big part of that is persons realizing that they are important relationships. Some of our most reliable relationships aren't always uh, with other people that sometimes are with our, our animal friends. And it turns out that social support, which we know is critical for human health, doesn't have to be a human being in order to provide some of the same social benefits, some of the same physiological benefits, the interpersonal neurobiological benefits uh, in our lives, that persons who have those animals, you know, in their lives actually are more resilient, are able to manage issues of isolation and loneliness in a more, you know, 
constructive way. So I think, you know, beginning to look at pet keeping and the role of animals in our lives, broadly speaking, and improving those relationships through better understanding of those animals, you know, learning how to understand the animals that are in your life, you know, really understanding, let's say, the species specific welfare considerations of the dog living in your home. What do they need in order to thrive? Those things will improve your health as well. So I think the good news, if you will, is you don't have to choose to be a people person or an animal person. That's a, I think those are false binaries that get created and where you have to, you know, be a tree hugger or people person. And I just don't buy that. I think the the reality is we actually get to choose both because when we care about animals, it improves the people around us and our families and our communities and vice versa. When we take good care of people, it turns out that the animal welfare metrics are also improved. So when, for example, when we reduce poverty across the planet, we also see improvements in animal protection and animal welfare as an outcome. So I think that's the biggest takeaway for me. Wonderful. Yeah, I know. You know, that was one of the things when I first applied for a service dog over 25 years ago, that was one of the things when I went to my first training is they said to me, as much as this dog is going to take care of you, you have to learn how to take care of this dog. And that was such a beautiful experience to learn, especially as a person with a disability, that I was just as responsible for my dog as my dog was for me. And that just made it such a beautiful relationship. It was so reciprocal, you know, and that that helped our bond so much, you know, that it wasn't one-sided. And I agree with you. I think that translates to so many different things in our lives in our society. And if we could treat each other that way, I think it, it would make for many brighter days and a, and a yeah. healthier planet. Yes. And I certainly want to contribute to that. And I thank you, Dr. Tadeshi, for what you're doing to contribute to that. Your work is just fabulous. And I, I'm so thrilled you could be with us today. And I hope you'll come back and be with us again, because there's so much more to talk about. Yeah, I would love to. And I hope people will take time to get to know our Institute for Human-Animal Connection and the great uh, work and the research agendas going on there. We're always interested in hearing about what, what you're doing. And, and we learn from, you know, learn from all of the colleagues all over the planet that are, are also involved in this work. So uh, it's an exciting time for this field, really. More than ever before, we really have seen the science behind human-animal connection supporting what we maybe have, have intuitively known, but are beginning to really establish evidence for the importance of these ideas. It's so true. And I'm excited about what's to come. Yes, absolutely. And I'll make sure and put the link to the Institute on our site so that our listeners can easily find the Institute and the University of Denver because it is such a wonderful program. Well, thank you for inviting us to talk about it. Yeah. Well, thank you, Dr. Tadeshi. Thank you so, so much. And thank you, our listeners, for being with us. We love to hear from you. So please keep those emails coming. Let's stay connected. And you know you can reach me at Marcy, M-A-R-C-I-E, at PetLifeRadio.com. You can also follow Working Like Dogs on Facebook and Instagram. And you know that we love seeing your photos of you and your dog and the work that you're doing together. So keep those photos coming. 
Thanks so much for being with us. We love you being here and we look forward to being with you again very soon. Take good care. Let's Talk Pets, every week on demand, only on PetLifeRadio.com.